how I'm feeling right now, oh, that's anxiety. How I'm feeling right now, oh, that's depression. How I'm feeling right now, oh, that's like excitement. And I think once you begin to name things, you then have this opportunity to say, okay, well, like when I feel this way, I know that I need to go take a walk. Or when I feel that this way, I know that I need to like, you know, um, take a nap. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 48 of the Mad Happy Podcast. I'm Payman and this week uh, it was just me. I got to interview Harley Finkelstein, who's the president of Shopify. Really good conversation we had um, in person actually when when he was in town about entrepreneurship, uh, the ups and downs of that uh, as it relates to your mental health and your family life. So we get into a bunch of good stuff. For those who don't know, Shopify powers most uh, e-commerce websites that you see around the world. And we're, we work closely with them, have been for four or five years. And we're actually going to announce uh, some some interesting things in the coming weeks on a partnership uh, where they're supporting us uh, and our foundation. But overall, a really good combo. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed. I know I took a lot away as um, you know, someone younger that... Uh, looks up to Harley in some ways. So I hope you enjoy it and we'll talk soon. The Mad Happy Podcast is brought to you by Optimism. Enjoy the show with Harley Finkelstein. Harley, thank you for being here. Pleasure to be here, Pam. It's, uh, it's, I love your show. I love the podcast. I love the brand. And it's an honor to be here. Yeah, thank you. For those who don't know you yet, um, what's your background? Uh, I guess <laughs> I've been an entrepreneur since I was a kid. Entrepreneurship has always been something that it's been a tool that I've always used to solve problems. And I'm really fortunate that now as I get to do it as the president of Shopify and, and help you know, over 2 million entrepreneurs uh, build businesses and, and, and pursue the things that are important to them. Yeah. Yeah. Quick story. I was just telling you, like we, when we initially launched Mad Happy, we weren't on Shopify. You were on Squarespace. Yeah, yeah we okay. were. Um, and I'm sorry it's okay. No, it's that. all good. It's all good. Um, but, you know, six months in, we made the switch. And I feel like we were still pretty early to Shopify yeah. in 2017, if I'm not wrong. And it's been amazing to see it develop and really has been able to, like, be the true platform for, like, this optimism brand we're building. So thank you for that. Yeah, it's funny. I, what I love about Mad Happy, I should, we should probably also say, uh, just uh, interest of full disclosure, I'm also a very happy investor in Mad Happy as a small angel investor in, in, in the business. And I actually, what I love about the brand of Mad Happy, and actually I think there's a lot of similarities to Shopify, which is the optimistic thing, the optimism brand, I think is really important. I think whether you're building a, like an apparel company or a lifestyle brand or a software company, this idea of injecting optimism into how you build, how you make things, how you deal with your customers, you guys nail that really well. It's been an amazing sort of story to watch. Thank you. Thank you so much. So we like to start every episode with something from the Mad Happy Journal. So we, we launched this journal last year. It has a daily prompt in it. My question for you is what's one habit you're trying to start and one habit you're trying to stop? I'm trying to stop is easy. Uh, I'm trying to stop checking my phone so often. I know that's fairly common, uh, especially amongst entrepreneurs, but you know, just really being present, particularly now, now that I'm a dad, I have, I have a two-year-old Zoe and a, actually she's, she turned three yesterday. I have wow. a three-year-old and a five-year-old uh, Zoe and Bailey and just being present for them is probably one thing that I, I'm working on. In terms of something I'm trying to start, I know we'll get into some of the mental health stuff later because I know you guys talk a lot about that on the show and I think a lot about that myself. I meditate almost every day. It's still difficult to get into it. Mm. I still almost daily reflexively think to myself, like, I don't need to meditate today. I'm too busy. Yeah. 
And uh, you know, I don't know if you've heard this. I don't even know who said this, but like, there's that famous line: "If you don't have ten minutes to meditate, meditate for twenty. Yeah, kind of thing. And so, I think that I've gotten to a good groove with meditation. And for me, it's it's really just like it's just my way to start the day. But every single day, and I've been at it for like four and a half years, almost five years now. It's still something that I have to remind myself of, and I would love to get to a point where it just becomes like waking up and opening my eyes, yeah. and it becomes so embedded into my daily routine. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy because um, I've been doing just basic insight timer ten minutes. I'm using for, insight timer too. Yeah, exactly. for you know ninety days straight, and still it's like that ten minutes feels so much harder than like the forty I'll probably spend on my phone right. before I do anything. Correct. It's not even a work or productive. That's right. No, exactly. It's it's this weird thing that like we're just so like it's so hardwired to not to try to not do it. Right. And and actually one of the things that I've found really helpful was I, I ended up hiring a meditation coach. Uh, his name is Pierre and so I do kind of my daily, you know, meditation on my own. I it's, it's I do ten minutes insight timer. Sometimes I'll do guided. Most of the time I'm just doing like non-guided with a timer i use, I use the stream in the background because mm. it just is kind of like white noise yeah. and if i'm in like a hotel like we're in right now in los angeles uh it kind of blocks things out so it's a pretty simple practice but then every thursday i do a 45 minute with pierre mm. and we were doing it in person for a long time and now we've shifted to doing virtual but i think actually having him there present with me virtually but still you know there with me is the only way i can do a long sit like 45 minutes yeah. And so guided, uh, guided. Yeah. yeah. And he uses two different types. He uses sort of the first part is, is what he sort of refers to as like activating the parasympathetic nervous system. So it's like four breaths in eight breaths out mm. for an extended period of time. And then the other one is, uh, shoot, I forgot the name, but it's basically a notice and, and, and name. So like, is it a sound? Is it a feeling? Is it a sensation? Mm. And that I find to be super like when I start really stressful and then eventually I get into the groove of it. But this stuff is really hard. It's hard for humans. And I think that the reason that most people, I think feel like everyone's that has any type of anxiety or anyone that is kind of hard driving entrepreneurship, especially they've been told by somebody try meditation. Yeah. And I think at this point it's almost becoming like eye rolly to like yeah. even recommend meditation. But I think the reason that you hear it so often is because you almost like you need to be reminded about it over and over again until it sticks. And even when you it does stick, the chances of you giving it up, at least for me, I come close to giving it up almost every day. Yeah. And, and that's difficult. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I want to go back to your childhood, your upbringing. I feel like a lot of people's stories are shaped, you know, in their early days and, and for better or for worse. Like, can you give us some of the like just formative experiences where you grew up, family? Sure. Yeah. So, um, I think a lot of uh, what has shaped me is, is sort of where my family comes from. So my dad's an immigrant. His parents were Holocaust survivors. In 1956, during the Hungarian Revolution, Canada had opened its doors to let in 40,000 Hungarian, uh, Hungarians in to escape persecution. And so that's how my dad ended up in Canada, uh, took the boat and, and ended up in Canada. My grandfather, um, who didn't speak English or French because they, they immigrated to Quebec, uh, had no money, had no education. He ended up getting a little stall at a farmer's market uh, in Montreal and selling eggs pretty much his entire life. Wow. And the reason I sort of go back sort of two generations is, one, I think that um, my grandfather never self-identified as an entrepreneur. He never called it. He never called himself entrepreneurial per se. For him, it was just really about survival. Yeah. And uh, my dad ended up also uh, starting a business, what is sort of known as a schmata business in Montreal, like a clothing business. Yeah. And so I sort of grew up with entrepreneurs around me. 
uh, my grandmother, my paternal grandmother, ended up becoming an entrepreneur. I think when she was like 50, she started a textile company. And so I just I knew a bunch of entrepreneurs growing up, uh, and I didn't necessarily know exactly what that meant. But what I liked about seeing people like my grandfather, my my paternal grandfather, my father, my maternal grandmother start these things, it always felt like anyone could start something. Yeah. It didn't feel like that was out of reach to me. And I, I, I'm, I feel grateful that I had that, those type of role models in my life because it allowed me to, it, it made entrepreneurship or starting businesses a little bit less uh, scary. It made it more accessible. Yeah. And um, where it sort of all culminated was I was 13 years old. I'm Jewish. I, when you're 13, you're Jewish. You go to a lot of bar mitzvahs and our bat mitzvahs for, for girls. And I remember going to these, these parties uh, as a 13-year-old in Montreal and seeing these DJs, DJing parties. And it was just, you know, it, to me it was a little bit, it, there was a magic to it, right? There were these, by use of voice and music and music selection, these magicians at the DJ booth were able to completely change the energy of a room of 300 people mm. almost instantaneously. Yeah. And I thought that was really, really cool. So I wanted to be a DJ and I called around a bunch of DJ companies, no one would hire me. And so I decided because this entrepreneurship tool seemed like it was available to me, uh, I ended up starting a little DJ company and hiring myself and, and ended up DJing like 500 bar and butt mitzvahs wow. uh, over the next couple of years. So entrepreneurship came to me at a fairly uh, early stage. We moved to South Florida when I was 13 or 14 years old. Uh, I then ended up going back to Canada to go to McGill. And that's when I really got serious about entrepreneurship. My dad was no longer around. My mom had no money. I have too much younger sisters. And so I started a teacher business in, in college. And started making T-shirts for universities, and that really was where the the idea of like business creation, entrepreneurship, really hit home for me. Because at this point, the problem I was trying to solve was not I want to be a DJ; no one would hire me. The problem I was trying to solve in college was my dad's not around, my mom has no money, my mom is broke, and I have two younger, much younger sisters that like you know need to go to school, need like shelter, yeah. and so entrepreneurship turned from a tool of passion. Or a, a tool to access something that I'm passionate about to a tool of survival in the same way my grandfather kind of used yeah. in 56. And that's kind of like, I, I think those, those sort of moments and those, uh, those experiences really have sort of shaped. Yeah. Me. Yeah. That's amazing. I want to talk more about the entrepreneurship stuff, but before that, I'm wondering like from an early age, did you feel like your family was like lacking something, whether it was like money or like connections or knowing people like, you know, I know for me, like immigrating to the U.S., feeling like I didn't know people like at an early age, it does like affect you a lot. Like, did you have like those feelings? Is that like kind of what drew you to like, oh, like I'm going to make it in some way? Yeah, I, I, I did. I think I think my dad, I think in my house, there was a sense that my family, we were, you know, we were middle class. But there was a sense that like at any time we may not, we, we there was a chance we would not have enough. Yeah. I think there was a real scarcity mentality in some ways in my household. And actually the way it manifested itself wasn't necessarily by not having enough food. And sometimes we had too much food because we were sort of making up for that scarcity mentality. Yeah. And I think even today, uh, maybe we're, we're getting already too deep, uh, too quickly in the, in the podcast, no, but but in the episode. But I think today, even, even now, money has an emotional relationship in my life. Yeah. And I recognize that um, there is something absolutely true about multi-generational trauma. Um, I, I think that anyone that has grandparents, in just, I'm just in my situation, like anyone that has grandparents that, that are Holocaust survivors, you will you will feel some sense of that. And so I want my kids to grow up in an environment 
feeling of abundance. I don't, I don't mean spoiling them. I don't mean lavishness. I don't mean having, you know, big houses and fancy cars. I just mean with a feeling that we have enough, we are enough, we do enough. And that is something that even to this day, I don't think that I fully, um, that I fully have. Yeah. I think especially like at an early age, you associate like money with like being enough, yeah. you know, and I feel like then it just keeps perpetuating where yeah. like the, the darker sides of entrepreneurship are the ones that are just like chasing that feeling. Right. Um, it's, like, it's like a drug addict, right? Chasing yeah. the dragon. I, I often think about entrepreneurship being one of the more interesting ways to satisfy that urge because it's a very quantifiable game. If the business does well, you make more money. If the business does not do well, you make less money. And so in some ways, entrepreneurship is so quantifiable. But I think what you realize as you, as you get older, as you mature, is that you know, like you need to find other things to like some of the best, most important, some of the most uh, meaningful parts of life are the non-quantifiable things. For sure. And you can't quantify love and you can't qual- you know, quantify relationship and you can't quant- quantify loyalty um, or connection. And so these are some of the things that, you know, when you're an early entrepreneur, when you're 13 or 17, or frankly for me, like certainly in my 20s, I wasn't even contemplating. It was this very much amygdala-based journey, which is like fight or flight. And now, you know, I'm I'm 38 um, and I'm trying to be a lot more introspective and try to be a lot more self-aware and just try to be a lot more thoughtful about how I sort of, you know, how I I go about my life. Uh, I recognize that there's a lot more to this sort of thing and that I want to do certain things, not necessarily just because it's a financial game, but rather, I mean, that's the reason why like the perfect company, truly the perfect company for me to be at in like for, for me hardly to be at is Shopify because this idea of allowing other people to experience independence or their own version of success or their own version of abundance, um, that feels really, really good. Yeah. That, that feels like something I can refer to as my life's work. Yeah. Yeah, totally. How do you feel that, you know, is there a moment that you felt your first, you know, mental health experience. I know you've talked a lot about anxiety. Like, was it from those early days of just like not knowing if like your family was going to have enough? Was it when you felt like you now had to start supporting your family? Like, do you remember that moment? Yeah, I mean, certainly uh, getting a call from uh, 2001, getting a call from my mom and saying, hey, like your dad's not around anymore. We have no money. <laughs> like it's the world is basically like falling apart on us right now. I remember the first thing that I did was this is actually a story that I haven't, I haven't shared before. Uh, I remember the first thing I did was I was in Montreal. I called my best friends because I was born in Montreal. Like my, my sort of closest group of friends was still in Montreal. So I called them over and I, I told them the situation, uh, what was happening. And I said, I'm going to try to like figure this all out. And it wasn't until years later that I actually realized that I was utilizing this quote unquote ambition or drive to survive, but also to kind of mask a lot of emotions Yeah, that like, I'd never took the time to sit there and just be sad that my dad wasn't around and be sad that my parents, you know, lost everything. I never allowed that. And so I actually think years later, you know, when I started to see a psychologist and started to talk about it with a coach and, and, and just be more open about what had happened in that, in that period of my life, I think that it was clear that there was something that I had not fully addressed and I had to kind of go deeper into it. The second thing I think that became clear to me was, you know, you mentioned anxiety. The anxiety thing is, is it's cool now that, that it's being talked about a lot more, but I didn't have a term for like that, that feeling, feeling, right? Like, you know, what I heard a lot of when I was a kid was, you know, Harley is really high energy. Harley (laughs) is really energetic. Harley cannot sit still. Yeah. I'm sure you have that as well. Right. And so 
but no one ever kind of said, well, you know, yes, Harley's very high energy, but like what happens when Harley, you know, is not high energy, right? What does that look like? And so I think nomenclature and naming things really, really matter. Um, I'm not suggesting anyone listening to this podcast should go and like run and go see like a psychologist or a psychiatrist or any type of therapy whatsoever. But one of the best parts of going through therapy is not necessarily that you're going to like find one particular, you know, anecdote from your childhood that, that explains the way you are. One of the things I think that's most beneficial is they give you a set of terms. They give you this sort of dictionary and you're able to start naming things and say, how I'm feeling right now? Oh, that's anxiety. How I'm feeling right now? Oh, that's depression. How I'm feeling right now? Oh, that's like excitement. And I think once you begin to name things, you then have this opportunity to say, okay, well, like when I feel this way, I know that I need to go take a walk. Or when I feel that this way, I know that I need to like, you know, take a nap or, you know, go for a run. So I would say those two things sort of began to uh, shape my understanding of like what mental health is and how it operates. And I got to like, I don't know if you have the same experience, uh, you know, coming from uh, as an immigrant yourself, but like that wasn't talked about in my house. We didn't talk about, you know, mental health. My father didn't talk about, you know, feelings in that way. And partially was because the environment was, we are immigrants in this country. We need to survive. And so, you know, like, like buckle up buttercup and like figure out a way to survive. And perhaps that was necessary for my, you know, grandparents escaping persecution or being in the Holocaust. But I, I'm very fortunate that I live in 2022 in Canada uh, with this amazing family. I don't always want to feel like I'm in this kind of survival mode. I don't think that's he- a healthy way to live. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's crazy because I feel like I'm, I was wired like that as well. Like moving here at early age, like always wanting to like do better, do better. Sure. And like, yes, like it's a numbers game, you know, whether it's doing good in school or all those things. And I feel like that toolbox is not the one that's set up for like reflecting on yourself. Cause like something bad happens and you're like, Oh, it's fine. Like, let's just keep going, right. yeah. you know, which you don't realize. And I, I started therapy like a year ago, which I talk about a lot on the show, but even in just a year, just like some of the things that I never even considered as part of my life sure. or just moving here, early experiences are so like, eye-opening to me now you know i think i have as i'm sure you do like this knack to like just want to improve a little bit every day Mm -hmm. right which i thought was like super good always but also is it sending yourself a message that like you're not good enough exactly today yeah and that's the whole thing about you know and there's there's probably a thousand podcasts about self-improvement right out there and i actually think that self-improvement is amazing i mean you know um toby uh founder of shopify has this great line that in his view the worst thing that can ever the worst thing that could happen is you meet yourself on your deathbed and see what you could have become. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I, I love that because I, I think that speaks to potential and that speaks to um, the fact that all of us, like, there's a lot of work we all have to do. But I think that the flip side of that is, can you just be okay with how you are right now? And can you, like, it's almost as if who we are 10 years ago, we were able to meet they would be really, I think, proud of yeah. who we've become. Sure. Not, not all of us, but, yeah. but those of us that have done the work and, yeah. and, but we forget that, right? And actually, rather than sort of use, you know, ourselves from 10 years ago, we sort of project ourselves 10 years from now. And we sort of say, well, like, we are not, we are nowhere near where we want to get. And I think that, I think, a lot, by the way, I think a lot of entrepreneurs in particular face that same challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, one line that he said to me was just telling yourself that you're perfect the way you are and that you could use a little improvement. I think like that just like really unlocked a lot for me. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> but by the way, it's, it's great language, right? Yeah. Because like it, that means that I could be, I think I'm a, I'm a pretty good father, 
and I probably could be a better father. And by just saying that sentence, it means that, yes, I have work to do to be more present with my kids, more participatory with their, in their lives, but also like, it's okay because I like, I, I'm on this journey to get there. And the other part about it is, you know, I don't think this, and we're talking about sort of our personal lives here, but I think for a lot of people like you and I and, and a lot of people listening, there is far less separation between the personal and the professional. In fact, I would say there is no separation, even us meeting right now. Yeah. We are meeting because we like each other. We've got to know each other kind of on the on the, on the internet. Uh, but we're also meeting because, you know, Mad Happy's on Shopify and, and I'm a small investor in Mad Happy. Like, it's, it's an interesting kind of dynamic because we're not really, like, all these lines are kind of blurred. And I think in some ways it's it's really great because it means like you don't have to pretend or you know cosplay like you're some other you're some like you know corporate drone or anything like that but it also means that it's difficult to kind of turn off like am i harley the president of shopify or am i harley just like some some dude you want to hang out with yeah and i don't think that was the case for our our parents or grandparents or previous generations yeah yeah, no, that's a really good point. Uh, you talked about being a dad. I wonder you feeling like in some ways your dad left your family, like put the burden on you to try to support them. Like how did that shape like, you know, the dad and father that you want to be? Yeah. So I'm fortunate my, my dad is, is back in my life now and my dad's around. And so what I recognize is that there was a period of time where I felt uh, like I was responsible for everybody. I was sort of, you know, in a kind of... Uh, like I was the patriarch in some ways because I was, the, I'm, I have two much younger sisters. One sister is 10 years younger. The other is, uh, is three years younger. And so I just felt responsible for everyone. I think what I recognize now is my dad really wanted to be a good dad by providing for us financially. He did everything he possibly could to make sure, even if he couldn't afford it, that I had, you know, the, the Air Jordans when I was 12 years old. Or that I had a bar mitzvah that like felt like made me feel special. And I think that was his way of uh, showing love and showing care. And what I think I recognize now is I, I don't think that's the only way to show care. I actually think I'll give you a great example. Before Zoe was born and Bailey was when we just had uh, our, our first kid, our first daughter, Saturday mornings, um, I would make pancakes. And I. This is, she's probably two, she was probably two years old at the time. And I took the pancake-making exercise incredibly seriously. So I would watch, like, YouTube videos of, like, how to make the best pancakes. I would, like, get the best ingredients, the best flour, uh, the world's best maple syrup. And I would spend all this time making the pancakes. And then Bailey would eat the pancakes, and we'd go on with our day. And I would think to myself, like, wow, like, like I just... I just wanted pancake making. I like I am and it was my wife who pointed out she's like, "Look, you're spending so much time making pancakes, but you're not actually spending any time enjoying the pancakes with Bailey." And I think that was a really important switch for me that I recognized that first of all, Bailey doesn't give a shit about like am I using the best flour or the best maple syrup? Like it is such a minor improvement for her. What is a huge improvement for her is when we're eating those pancakes, are we doing it together? Is my phone put away? Am I fully present and, and having, you know, a, like any conversation with a two-year-old, a silly conversation with her? And that's sort of when I realized that this idea of like winning at being a dad, I had to kind of change all of that <laughs> because um, they just want me around. 
they don't care about how perfect the pancakes become. Yeah. And that's a metaphor generally for me of like how I think about, I'm, I'm teaching Zoe, or, or, who just turned three, how to ski. And I, I found myself getting into that same sort of routine that, you know, the night before I like laid out her ski stuff, her new skis, her new, her new boots and, and her helmet. And like, you know, I took a picture and put it on Instagram. I was like, I'm going to, you know, teach three or three-year-old how to ski. I was so excited by it. And I caught myself doing that. And I, and now because I have nomenclature, like I was like, don't do the pancake thing again. Like, yes, it's cool that you care, that I care so much about the gear that she has. What's more important is that, is she excited to ski with me? Yeah. And if she's and, – and, and so I think it's okay to be a work in progress to your point, you know, and I also want to keep getting yeah. better yeah. at that. Yeah, for sure. That, that's, that's a really good story. I, I'm wondering, it seems like in your life, entrepreneurship was like the path to empowering yourself to, you know, do what you wanted in this life. Like I, I, how did you go from being in law school to then, you know, joining Shopify to then now obviously like – being the president of Shopify, like what was that journey for you? Yeah, I took a different approach to uh, school, I think, than most people do. Um, I actually, the way that I sort of looked at it was, I went to law school, first of all, not to become a lawyer. I was very clear about that. I, I knew that I didn't want to be a lawyer long term. I actually went to law school because a mentor of mine convinced me that law school was one of the best kind of finishing schools for entrepreneurship. And it would help me understand business at a much deeper level. It would help me learn how to negotiate and read better and write better. And it did all those things. But the way that I sort of uh, viewed the dynamic between me and the university was I'm going to give you uh, $15,000, one five. Uh, law school was much cheaper in Canada than in the U.S. <laughs> so I'm going to give you $15,000 and you owe me a debt. And the debt that you as a school owe me is you need to give me as much uh, context, insight, information, education. Uh, you need to give me a lot of tools because I'm giving you $15,000. And so if I were to go into like a hardware store here in LA and give them $15,000, I would expect a lot in return. That was the dynamic that I had with, with school, with both law school and, 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 and business school and, and my MBA. Um, I don't think most people go about it that way. I think most people go to these schools with the objective of coming out with like this piece of paper and hopefully a job offer. And I think because I never wanted to be a lawyer, I actually enjoyed law school way more than most people did because it didn't matter how well I did on, on an exam. That wasn't the point. The point was to derive as much, uh, to, to add more tools to my tool belt. But I moved to Ottawa to go to law school, and I'd never been to Ottawa before. A mentor of mine was teaching law at the University of Ottawa, which is why I applied there. And I got to the city, never, never having never been there, and ended up just meeting a bunch of entrepreneurs and started hanging out with them. And one of those entrepreneurs was Toby. And Toby had just previously moved from Germany to Canada, he met a girl, uh, Fiona, mm -hmm. and uh, she was living in Ottawa. So he met, he moved to Ottawa. New immigrant, couldn't get a job because he didn't have, you know, he wasn't a citizen or didn't have the papers properly um, or at that point. So one of the only options available to a new immigrant was start a business. So he started, he started selling these snowboards on, on the internet. Um, this is a well-known story, but basically was disappointed or frustrated with the lack of really great software to sell a product online and didn't want to use a marketplace, which effectively you know, they were, they would rent you their customers. You're not really building your own brand. So he wrote a piece of software to sell these snowboards. Very quickly realized that the snowboard business was a good idea, but the software business was a great idea. And other people may also want to use the software to sell their own products. And I was one of those people. Uh, I ended up being one of the first merchants on Shopify. Uh, I sold t-shirts all throughout uh, law school and business school. And then in 2009, I called them and said, I, I want to come join you and a handful of others, um, mostly engineers. 
and helped build this company. And uh, that was about 13 years ago. And I mean, it's been, you know, the ride of a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and what have you learned, I guess, about what entrepreneurship has unlocked in, in the U.S. and in the world of just like really like being able to like empower people to chase their dreams or really like create a future for themselves? So we have millions of stores on Shopify. Um, and that's cool. Like something like 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. goes through Shopify. Like that's that, awesome. and that's because of people like you. It's because of Matt Happy. It's because of the brands on Shopify. It isn't like you know we are we are simply making it a little bit easier. But the success of of like the fact that ten percent of all e commerce goes to Shopify belongs to, to you. It belongs to Matt Happy. It belongs to brands and and, and great entrepreneurs that are building on Shopify. Um, but actually, the, the the stat that I think is far more interesting and compelling is that every twenty eight seconds, a brand new store gets their first sale, and that I think. I hope will be, you know, in, in 300 years from now, I hope Shopify's legacy is, yes, that we helped, you know, like Matt Happy go from, you know, a million or two million or 10 million to hundreds of millions or billions of dollars in sales. But I hope our legacy is equal, if not greater, on this idea that we helped turn more people into entrepreneurs. And I think the reason that's important now more than ever is, you know, there was that famous article, like the Great Resignation. I think it was in the Wall Street Journal in November. Um, people leaving the workforce, and I've been fairly vocal that I, I calling bullshit on that article. I don't think people leaving the workforce. I think people are leaving shitty jobs that they don't want to do. I think one of the major alternatives, one of the major places where they're shifting to, is becoming entrepreneurs, becoming small business owners, and. I think one of the main shifts that have happened, besides the fact that technology like Shopify exists, is that if we go back to like 1956 when my grandfather started selling eggs, the main ingredient for scale for, to grow was capital. And I, I would, my belief, strong belief is that actually, no, now, like if you are really creative and you have a deep understanding of your customer and you're making something people actually want, you can build a massive company. Capital still is important to some extent, but it's far less important than it was 40 or 50 or 60 years ago. And so I think what you what you end up with is there's like a real leveling of the playing field. Like this term leveling of the playing field has always been around. Every government, every politician, every company wants to level the playing field. But I don't believe that has happened nearly as um, prominently as it is happening right now because, you know, like, if you're if you sign up for Shopify today, the rates that you are getting on shipping is effectively what like the biggest companies on the planet were getting just a few years ago. Yeah, and so when you bring all these things together, whether it's shipping or it's your ability to set up a beautiful store like Mad Happy or it's or it's any of these sort of things, what you end up with is a, like a democratization of commerce. And I actually think what's like what's super cool to see and and, and um, Black Friday Cyber Monday 2021, so just a couple months ago. Um, Adobe came out with their numbers and effectively was, I think it was flat or slightly less than it was in 2020. Uh, and they were measuring mostly big retail. But Shopify saw, I think, a 22 or 23% growth year on year on Black Friday, Cyber Monday relative to the previous one. And so what you actually, you, what you saw was consumers actually shifted how they buy and who they buy from. They're buy, they, they not only want to buy more from, from you all, um, but they're voting with their wallets because they want more Mad Happies to exist in the world. Yeah. And I think when you combine all these, all these things, like we are going through some of the most exciting times for entrepreneurship ever. And, and you know, I know you talk a lot about optimism, but that's what gives me a ton of optimism. For sure. Yeah. And it is very optimistic. I think 
Well, one thing I'm curious about is on your journey with Shopify over the last 10 plus years, like I do think a lot of entrepreneurship and startups, they are really hard too, you know, and I think a lot of people don't talk about that side uh, as it relates to like founder mental health or like, you know, early employee mental health. Like how have you seen, you know, that landscape transform and like what have you tried to do? You know, some of the things like meditation that you talked about uh, going to therapy, like how have you approached that? Um. So first of all, I, I totally agree with, with, with you, and I, I probably am, am, am sometimes um, I probably sometimes perpetuate that where I make it seem like entrepreneurship is so easy. Let me be clear: entrepreneurship is not easy. Most entrepreneurs, most small businesses, are not going to be the next Matt Happy. It's very, very difficult. It's difficult even at your stage, and it's difficult even at Shopify stage. Like, yeah. like building a company, starting company, building company; these are very difficult things. Um, and so. I think two things on that. One is if we can simply make the cost of failure a little bit less, more people will will try it. And if it doesn't work, it means that they can try something else fairly rapidly. Um, but in terms of specifically to answer your question, one thing that I think has been really valuable for, for me is actually talking more about my own journey, more about my mental health, doing podcasts like this where uh, I can be a little bit more vulnerable. And I think... Going back to what we talked about at the beginning of the, of, of the episode about, you know, this fight or flight, this sort of bravado thing, I actually think the more people show vulnerability, the more they show strength as opposed to weakness. And actually now when I meet someone and I get to know them and I, I see no vulnerability, I'm often suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> and and so so I try, I try to talk about the fact that, you know um, – I, I, I go see a therapist, that I have a coach, that my wife and I go to a couple's therapist because we want to, like, we think that it's like, you know, training, like going to the gym. It's a really important thing that we've been doing since we got married. Um, the more I share, the more people tell me about their experiences, and then I can actually take some bits and pieces from them as well. So I, I think if you if you agree on this sort of hypothesis that right now all of our professional lives and personal lives are all kind of getting blended together then it feels less weird to talk about vulnerability in the context of running a big company. Yeah. Because like ultimately Shopify is a collection of 10,000 people, like actual humans. And we want, we we have certain goals and certain metrics and a certain mission that we want to accomplish. And we're serious about that. And we're going to work our butts off to make sure that happens. But also we all, we want to enjoy the journey. Like something as simple as the, the concept of fun is just, you know, we have an earnings call coming up and, just as an example, like I, I, I suspect there's very few earnings calls where the, the leadership team talks about like how much fun they're having um, because it's just not <laughs> appropriate, right? And which means that there's not that many opportunities for entrepreneurs or leaders to tell the world, hey, not only are we building a great company, not only are we proud of what we're doing, are we do we have a really great mission that's important, but also we're having fun working with each other. Yeah. And I think at Shopify we're having a lot of fun, and I, I, I think um, I think that makes a difference. Yeah. No. Definitely. I- I feel like, yeah, a lot of it is the vulnerability you realize we all go through the same five, six core emotions, regardless of like where we're at, how mm-hmm. old we are, where we come from. And, and so we have so much more in common with, with anyone than yeah. we think. As we wrap up, I think one question, one final question I have uh, before we get to our two wrap up questions is if you could give, you know, your 17 year old self just one piece of advice, one, you know, one message, what would it be? Um, probably to spend more time enjoying the journey as opposed to constantly looking at the, like the final destination. I remember May 2015, shop, we took Shopify public. 
It was a dual listing in New York Stock Exchange and the Toronto Stock Exchange. And so as part of the IPO process, you do a roadshow. You fly around the world, world you meet every major fund manager. Um, and it, we, we did 93 meetings in like two and a half weeks. And I remember thinking right before it happened, actually a friend of mine, my friend, one of my best friends, Jeremy, said to me, you're going to remember this for the rest of your life. That like this is such an interesting experience, such an amazing experience for any entrepreneur to go through. And he's like, try to enjoy it. And I really worked hard for that two and a half weeks to like to be really present in those meetings, in that journey, like jumping from New York to San Francisco to Boston to Minneapolis. And that was a period of time where I tried to really enjoy the journey, not just the destination, of course, is ringing the bell of the stock exchange. And like that is an amazing experience for any entrepreneur. But I, I actually really tried to immerse myself in the journey of sort of taking the company public. And to this day, I can remember almost every one of those 93 meetings. I wish I did that more often. Yeah. I wish that I thought to myself, look, yes, the goal, like there's a destination you're trying to achieve here, but the journey to get there is also going to be really fun and really memorable and try to actually immerse yourself in that experience. Um, I wish I can do that more often. I'm trying to do that, do that more often. Same thing with skiing with the kids. Like, um, I want to eventually get to a point where I can, I can, my wife and I and our daughters can go on an amazing ski trip. That's the destination. That's why I want my kids to learn how to ski. But what if I enjoyed all those like moments where, you know, my daughter is having like a, you know, a fit on the chairlift because it's too cold. And like, even though that feels stressful, that's part of the journey. And I, I just, I want to remember those moments a lot more than I, I think I do. Yeah. That's, that's good advice that I could take. Um, if you could nominate someone that has an inspiring, you know, mental health journey, whether you know them or not, uh, to come on the show, who would it be? Oh, interesting. Um, someone that I'm learning a ton from right now uh, is a guy named John Hope Bryant. John runs Operation Hope in in Atlanta, and his goal is effective. Like he believes, the way to create real racial equality is through economic independence. And he does so with probably more heart and more character than anyone else I've ever met. Um, I think you should get John Hope right on the show. Love that. Yeah, I can help you with that. Thank you. He's awesome. And and finally, Harley, what makes you mad happy? Uh, talking to great entrepreneurs like you. This is does this does not feel like work to me. Uh, you know, I, I, when I knew I was coming to LA, I, I reached out to you and said, "Hey, let's let's hang out." And I didn't do that as a president of Shopify. I did that because, like, I think what you've done is amazing. I love your business. I love your brand. I love the way you sort of look at the world. I love the fact that you are building in public with this with this podcast and talking about the journey and the, the ups and the downs, and, and you're trying to spread optimism. That makes me mad happy. I think that is – entrepreneurship is lonely. For sure. Really, really lonely. And so – even when you have, even when you're doing it with ten thousand people like like we are at Shopify, it's still lonely. And so, surrounding ourselves with more entrepreneurs, and then kind of cutting the bullshit and just being honest with each other, that that gives me like that gives me life. I, yeah. I think that's the, like one of the most fun parts of of um, of what I do. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. Um, what you guys have built, what you've built, is amazing. So, I'm excited to follow along and and to keep hearing your story, your mental health journey. Um, so, thank you so much, Harley, for being oh, here. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, if you want to support the show, please leave us five stars on Apple and Spotify. Remember to follow us on all channels to keep up with the latest in the Mad Happy podcast. 
A big thank you to Harley for joining us today and taking us on a journey of what it means to be an entrepreneur in today's world. Tune in next week for our conversation with where we talk about mental health. The Mad Happy Podcast is brought to you by Optimism.